This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. At American Public University, we believe that higher education can unlock higher purpose. So we offer 200 modern programs for those who want to make a difference. And we believe education must adapt to students' needs. That's why we've made it accessible through online classes and flexible with monthly program starts. American Public University. Within reach, without limits. Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com. You know what I want? <laughs> I want a culture Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm Rose Sampson Folk, and today, a special guest, not only in the value of the content and the opinions he's bringing, but our first pseudonym, it is suiting him from Twitter, Hoop Goose. That's right, at Hoop Goose. And before I ask you how you're doing, I have to ask, the people want to know, ASAP Rocky, ASAP Yams come from the ASAP mob. You are hoop goose. Is there a hoop gaggle? Is there a larger or are you a singular hoop goose, just a lone wolf of the goose crowd? Well, you see, uh, it comes with uh, where, where the name comes from, where I was like, oh, I'm just a guy in Canada who talks about basketball, right? So then I was like, oh, so uh, what's something Canadian? So it was either hoop goose or hoop moose. So <laughs> Uh, I think I picked the right one with hoop goose. So technically, everybody in Canada here is a hoop goose to me. If you would have picked hoop moose, maybe people would be saying you're Blake's burner. But with goose, since he has a moose tattooed on himself, but instead we have the assertions that Blake is Blake, I'm Blake's burner, and you're my burner. If if anybody at home is listening and wants (laughs) to know how confused this might be, uh, people have been in my mentions for some time suggesting that uh, Mr. Goose is my burner because we have an affinity for similar players and uh, similar takes, I would say. I don't know where what basketball school of learning you went to, but uh, if there's a Hogwarts, a Jace uh, basketball school of sorts that maybe we both linked up at. But here we are. How are you doing, man? How do you feel about being on uh, on a podcast on this one? It's pretty great. I'm uh, happy to be here. This is one of the, the bigger podcasts in Raptors world, so this is fun. I haven't looked at the numbers or compared them across any type of thing. I know the numbers are good for this one. I don't know how they compare to like uh, maybe, you know, Raptors over everything or dishes and dimes, but I hope they're close. You know, those are both popular, but I guess we'll, uh, we'll get into all of this. So I'm glad you're doing well, but we're here to talk basketball, yeah. not about geese, goose, or gaggles. <laughs> we're here to talk yes. basketball. Three-man unit, Pascal, OG, Fred, back together for the first time in quite some time against the, uh, the Jazz that everybody loves. How did you feel about the return? 
obviously Pascal and Fred coming one game before, but as a three-man unit, did you like what you saw? Were you a little bit unimpressed by anything? No, they, uh, I think they look great. Uh, there's been a little rust, especially with uh, Fred and Pascal and their jump shots. But I think by the end of yesterday, it's kind of gotten to where it was. OG, on the other hand, has looked like he has never missed any time. Uh, he, he came out firing. Uh, his defense was as good as ever, maybe a little foul prone. But those three look good, man. We're happy to have them. Is there a signature play from any one of them that you enjoyed in particular last night? There was this one thing where I thought, I've been watching OG, and he's only has had like a handful of these, but he did it again where he did this uh, little one-legged fadeaway. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I love obsessively tracking any random development with OG. So that's the one thing I'm watching with him is, ooh, can he actually do that? OG is maybe like the random development king in the NBA because there's no telling what it's going to look like, what it could develop into. Because the way that his body responds to things is kind of the antithesis of how most people's bodies respond. It's like people have to rely on balance or fluidity. And OG (laughs) is like a bulldozer that is missing a tire on like the front right. And so like there's like this bulldozing aspect to his game. But if somebody bumps him, he kind of gets back reared onto his back wheels. And it all looks so interesting like last year when he started bringing out that spin move that everybody loved and like oh he's learned it from pascal i didn't think they i didn't think he could have possibly learned it from pascal because they were so dissimilar pascal is like this smooth water running down the side of a mountain spin move where you can see he feels every point of contact that the defender's putting on him like he's rolling off of the defender's shoulder and feels as his elbow pushes off and cascades to the rim OG is like, I'm going to turn my back and smash into you with my back and then finish spinning and we'll see where I'm at. And it ju- they just seem like completely different things. So I'm glad you, you like that about him too. Did you, did you see his rescreen into the mid-range jumper? Yeah, uh, the one against Bogdanovich. It was pretty interesting because he's gotten a little better this year at just like hunting for a shot. He'll still like pass out if he sees anything, but like... Like that, that possession was like a good, uh, a good summary of how he's grown. Cause he wouldn't have done that last year. Yeah. He's, he's reluctant to hang on to the ball for anything outside of the primary action. Like rescreening is obviously very much in the bag for Pascal, Fred and Kyle. If they, if they like something, if they like their defender, they'll try and get him on a screen a second time, even a third time if we're getting crazy. But OG, it's nice to see him hunt for that kind of stuff. And his base, his jumper is very, very simplistic. There's not a lot of noise going on in it. So I like to see him hunt jump shots because I want to see how that actual pull-up jumper develops because from a mechanic standpoint, it does seem like that could be a stronger part of his game over a guy like Pascal, where Pascal probably has to supplement his shot profile with like push shots and shots that rely more on feel and stuff like that because there's a lot more going on in the lower half and the upper half of his jump shot. But okay, so let's talk OG first. There was a question. I'll I'll go over it, I guess. I'll give the credit to it when we get to the Twitter questions part. We'll we'll talk about it now. OG, so far this year, what have you thought? He's got one game back now, but the totality of his year, how have you liked it? It's been pretty good. Uh, I know people were expecting him to make a huge leap, but he's more of a guy who gets incrementally better. 
his defense is a lot better this year, and he was pretty good last year too. I think uh, the start of the year we saw some like off ball lapses; those have uh, gone away by now, or at least I don't notice them as much. I think for a wing, he's really uh, figured out how to play the big on defense. I mean, yesterday uh, saw him playing some drop coverage and uh, protecting the rim. I think that's pretty interesting for him going forward because uh, when they play him at center or when they play Pascal at center, uh, th- that's what you want from OG, right, is uh, being just as versatile as possible and just being able to defend from anywhere on the floor. Uh, I don't. His handle has gotten a little better. I think uh, the uh, team trusts him a little more. I will see, like, the occasional pick and roll from him. I think we saw one yesterday with uh, Pascal as the screener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, the off-ball defense is probably the biggest step he's taken because at the start of last last year when they were just figuring out, okay, we can drop OG back because he just came off of his appendicitis and stuff like that and hadn't really played yeah. since before the playoffs started. So you're really looking at a guy that you haven't seen play in a long time and suddenly, off the start of last year, his block rate was super, super high because he was in a lot of drop positions. And there's that that block on Thaddeus Young where he stonewalled him at the rim. There was that game against the Magic where he had a couple on Vooch and on Jonathan Isaac. And you're like, oh, okay, what's happening here? Is he developing to a rim protector? Is that what we're seeing? And then in the playoffs last year, among wings, he had the best block percentage, nearly the best steal percentage. And basically, he allowed the Raptors to play a certain brand of defense that helped them get back into the series against the Celtics. And then offensively, obviously, Kyle Lowry carrying a lot of the offensive creation burden. Very cool to see from OG. I don't think anybody would... It's hard to imagine what defensive progress looks like for him now, right? Because you're looking at a guy who, as you say, the off-ball stuff has gotten really good. The lapses are few and far between. There's when he has a guy on ball, whether it's a superstar or a guy who shouldn't be dribbling near OG, he hunts dribbles. Guys have to protect their dribble when he's on them. And if they don't do it well enough, they can get picked or the ball can go out of bounds. He can reset an offense. He can blow up pick and rolls if he wants to blitz or switch, whatever. And it doesn't really matter who he's switching onto. And then obviously he's progressing more and more as a help side slash drop defender and man, there's a lot to like. But offensively, I think, is where people are looking for it. Maybe expecting that huge usage rate to jump up. And it's been, as you say, incremental, I think. But I- I've liked his year a lot. Obviously, I wrote that really big piece on his offense. And yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff to be intrigued and, I guess, excited about, especially with how the Raptors have utilized him. Have you, have you enjoyed how he's been utilized so far? For the most part, I still feel like he's uh, underutilized kind of on both ends because uh, offensively, there's a lot of him uh, being forced to be the spacer. So uh, he doesn't really get to touch the ball as much as maybe he should. And defensively, I feel like the team is a little too eager to help him sometimes. Like uh, <laughs> you'll have a guy go trying to go one-on-one with him and then someone will come and help. Uh, then there was that, uh, so remember that uh, foul by Norman Powell where he reached in on, I forgot who it was, but he reached in while OG was 1v1 with someone. And I feel like OG is maybe the best isolation defender in the league. If he's not the best, he's like top three or whatever. He doesn't need help as much as the Raptors want to help him, you know? So I feel like they should leave him alone sometimes, kind of let him prove himself on that end. I would say that's something that's missing from OG's game, but not for lack of talent, just lack of opportunity. 
Yeah. Like, OG, we haven't seen it that much because the Raptors help so much, and OG is so good at stonewalling guys. But if OG opens the hips and just gets his feet organized, there's no reason that a guy, you know, the equal of Fred Van Vliet, except on the other team, if he manages to scoop by, if he tries to lay it up, I'm pretty sure OG can pin some guys or change a lot of shots. And as you say, there is that play. I don't remember who was on ball. I, I do remember that play, though. And Norm, he pinched in off the right wing, and he got his hand on the arm. And OG was like, oh, man, I clearly had that guy. And I don't yeah. remember who it was. Was it Brandon Ingram? I think it was yeah, Brandon I think Ingram. It, was, it might have been Ingram. Yeah, it was the Pelicans. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Brandon Ingram. And it's like, Norm, you don't need to help. So, yeah, I think that is – that's a good point is – Maybe leave OG alone because, as you say, could be – if he's not the best isolation defender in the league, he's at least top five. I've written about this in the past, and by the numbers, you can see not only does he limit guys on ball, but he suppresses their shot totals as well. So it's, it's out there, whether he's rewarded by you know the all-NBA defense or any other type of accolade throughout his career, which he should be, but guys around the league know it. And when OG is defending you, you feel it. It's, it's very apparent. And the types of shots guys take is reflected in that as well. But yeah. Okay. We'll table the OG stuff unless you have something to add. I do have. Um, tra- I'm tracking this very specific thing from OG is that uh, when he drives, it's how he drives. So uh, when OG drives, he has a tendency to get like really wide and really low. And this is where he like loses his balance. It's kind of similar to Pascal, but he doesn't really have the uh, fluidity that Pascal does to really pull it off. And then because that he's so low, it really affects his finishing because you'll see uh, that even though OG is like a really good athlete, he'll start off so low, he'll be under the rim and he'll go up pretty slowly, right? This is why he gets blocked a lot. Uh, it's not happening as much this year, but last year he got blocked a lot. And then you look at someone like, uh, like Kawhi, or even like Luca, you see how they drive. They drive very upright, uh, and they're like bumping their defender. OG doesn't do that, but on the rare occasions that he does do that, he looks really, really good driving. And so I feel like that is like the uh, the key to his upside is just him figuring out that I'm this massive wrecking ball of a human. I can't be trying to go under people. I got to go through them. And that's the one thing that like to keep track of with OG is has he figured that out yet? Yeah, that's that's something I wrote about in my in my big offensive piece is that he is getting himself off balance. He'll step out. It's a term used in baseball is when guys are stepping into the bucket is when they're not staying square to the ball through their swing and they're kind of pulling out and getting off balance and it creates, you know, a pull swing or they're just missing the ball or the plane of their swing is getting screwed up. And OG does that to himself on the drive. Like he gets low. He thinks that he has to make contact with his shoulder. Otherwise, he, he won't have power to, as you say, finish through contact. And that's, that's something that I'm waiting to see is that, yes, Kawhi and Luka, both those guys operate. It's their feet. There's a lot of chopping, and they're on balance even though they're upright. Whereas OG takes really long steps that lock him into, I would say, easy-to-track defensive situations. Like OG starts – OG picks up the ball – and he starts taking those long steps, it becomes very easy to walk onto that step and to track him as a weak side defender. Or if you're on ball, you just keep shading 
to try and get him to the baseline. And if you're lucky, he'll step out of the bucket and finish fading away sometimes with his left hand. Not ideal. Then you look at a guy like Kawhi or Luka, there's a lot of dribbles. They're staying on balance, and there's always a danger to what they're doing. And even if they do pick up their dribble, as you say, OG kind of hunches over. Like his shoulders will get over top of his knees, and that's, yeah. just, that's just not good at all. Whereas, like you wouldn't expect OG to shoot. He just won't shoot if he's in that position. So you know he's looking for a pass while also putting all of his weight on the foot that isn't his pivot foot. So all of his weight has been shifted outside the center of his body. And defenders love when that happens because you can keep inching closer until they decide to pick up their back foot. It's a travel or they have to bail out. And since it's not Chris Paul or Kyle Lowry and they're not going to flail and draw a foul or anything, OG's just going to be in trouble all the time. So yeah, that's a great point. I think uh, OG has lots of stuff to work on, but his, his craft while driving, given his, I would say, current attributes and what will develop into probably an even stronger body over time. That's a, that's a really big thing to look for going forward. So talking about developing, do you think there's untapped potential on the roster? If so, where is it? And then we'll get into the second half of this question after. I don't know if there's any like big potential because uh, the roster is kind of barren these days in terms of young talent. Uh, Malachi is pretty interesting though. I feel like a lot of what Malachi does is the right thing is that he just doesn't really have the physical tools right now. I feel like the big thing with him is just getting stronger because right now uh, he has a really hard time just generating separation when he's on ball. And even when he's defending, it's a little easy for uh, defenders to just bump him out of the way. Like uh, I think yesterday when uh, he had, he was punished with all those uh, screen assists from uh, Rudy Gobert yeah, it was pretty easy to get him off Mike Conley and into good shots. But I feel like by next year or maybe a little longer, if you get Malachi strong enough, you're going to get a good player there. A lot of it, a lot of his problems are just missing shots that, that are easy and just uh, not being used as much as he should. Maybe. As far as other guys like Bembry, let's say Paul Watson, guys of that nature. Is there more you'd like to see from them? I think I've seen everything I need to see from Bembry so far, and I like it, but are you looking for anything more? From Bembry, I, I don't think so. I think Bembry is good at what he is. It's just that what he is is uh, hard for the Raptors to just put in because he needs to be surrounded by uh, good NBA players. And I don't know if we have that off the bench. So you need to put him in with the starters. And to his credit, when he's with the starters, he's looked pretty good most of the time. And then Watson is interesting to me because I think he's like a real shooter. Like if you look at his jump shots, very smooth. Uh, he's able, he has some uh, wiggle as some would call it. Uh, the defense is getting better. It was, uh, it was it, the first time he played some minutes, it was pretty bad. Uh, yesterday he was, he was, he was okay. And he might be able to like step into that norm type of role maybe as soon as next year he's just uh, finishing plays. Yes. Yeah, even, uh, oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> burner, <laughs> burner indeed. Yeah. Burner indeed. I was going to talk about Utah and how, uh, if you can get him surrounded by uh, some better offensive bench players, he, he took really good because I feel like Utah is definitely an NBA player. If you let mm-hmm. him play with the right people. That's the thing with Utah. Well, that's the thing with the end of bench guys, right? Is none of them in their mind allocate those types of shots to themselves. 
that yeah. and that's maybe that's a product of the Raptors culture. I think is that the Raptors really appreciate those types of guys who will be kind of subservient to the the top end of the roster. Whereas sometimes other teams will just be chock full of these real hoopers only players who are like, if I get on the court and you give me the ball, it's like a six dribble combo and I'm pulling up. Like that's, that's just the way I play basketball. And those types of guys at times can save a bench unit by scoring. Yuta, Bembry, Paul Watson, unless they're getting out in transition, they're not going to give you a huge amount of scoring. Not, not under normal circumstances. Of course, you could point to like a really good Paul Watson game like last year's bubble versus Denver where he had 24, I think. Sure, that's fine. But that was a different type of environment. The Raptors and Nuggets weren't really playing their guys. It was like, Paul, for this game, you're a guy. Shoot the ball as if you were. But Bembry, Yuda, and Paul... I think all our NBA players, the same way that Malcolm Miller and Alfonso McKinney were before, it's just that they aren't going to create shots. They only want to take shots that are created really open, and they want to take advantage of those, and they want to defend. I think every, and there's a varying degree of how dangerous the defense is for each one of those players, but the Raptors very clearly are creating those types of guys And with the way that the Raptors roster had been constructed over the past six years up until this year, that made a lot of sense. The Raptors had shot creation figured out. They didn't have to go looking for it. They just needed really good role players. And guys like Damari Carroll failed to live up to that. And, you know, there's other types of situations. But the Raptors had shot creation on lock. They didn't have to worry about it. They were really happy if DeMar DeRozan could take a pick and roll you know, do a hop step into the lane and then flash the ball out to the weak side where if Corey Joseph hits it, you're like, hell yeah, look how good this team is. Now you you lose Kawhi, Danny, Mark, and Serge. And what do you get in return? A championship, but no assets, let's say. There's nothing on the roster. And they haven't really been building through the draft or anything like that. So they're kind of bereft of those options. So those guys are all NBA players definitively i agree with you they all do nba level stuff all the time it's just they're all stacked on top of each other and there's so much overlap in skill and bambri may be the most unique i think out of them yeah. it's just none of them are giving you that shot creation like theo pinson can come off the bench and give you like eight points in three minutes and he can do it on ball but theo pinson is not as good a player as any of the players i just mentioned it's just a different type of player and the Raptors. Yeah. They've stacked a lot of overlapped players. So it's, it's interesting. Do you have any opinion on that, by the way, the way that they've built out the end of the roster? Well, uh, if you dig through my old tweets, you'll see that I'm not a fan of a uh, fan of that just because like you mentioned, just the skill overlap is that they're all like kind of these opportunist offensive players and then they play defense, but you need some, offensive help for the bench. Uh, I think Boucher has been pushed into that role, even though he's kind of a finisher than a creator. And they've tried Norm in that role too, but Norm hasn't really uh, been that creator for them. He's uh, better off just finishing plays. So they've had a hard time just finding any shot creation off the bench. I think uh, back when uh, all of Rap's Twitter was uh, thirsting over Harry Giles, that, that was the... Uh, <laughs> That that was a that was the concept behind it, right? It was that oh, he's this amazing passer. Maybe we can get him going, and he can create for these other guys off the bench. And uh, t- 
to the Raptors, uh, they haven't really had the cap space really, or like the opportunity to sign like some like great bench players. So I can see why they just done the best with what they have, but yeah, this, this is the big, the biggest problem with the team this year, I think is that you're not getting, uh, you're not getting 48 minutes of like quality NBA depth out there. You know, uh, you have like, I don't know. I'd say there's like six players that would be rotation players on any team in the league. It's like, uh, you have the starters and you have Boucher by the starters. I mean, yesterday's starters, not Baines. <laughs> Sorry, Baines fan club. <laughs> so, uh, the others need to be, uh, carried in a way that the Raptors really don't have the uh, ability to carry them. So that's really, I feel like the biggest thing that sunk the Raptors this year. And it's not like a lack of high end talent, although the Raptors aren't at the highest peak of high end talent either. It's that they don't have the depth. So they just have a very good starting lineup. And then that's kind of it. And that's why it's been tough to just get going this year. Yeah. It remains one of the toughest things I think is, a lot of teams run into this. They're like, hell yeah, we built the starting lineup. We think we're good. And then they're just bereft of any talent on the bench. And they're like, How, what are these transitional lineups we're trying to get through? We keep losing minutes, even though we have good players. Like we get out to like that 26-17 lead in the first quarter before it's even over. And we're like, hell yeah. And then the guys start like creeping into the lineup and we're like, now we're down 38 to 33. What the hell happened? And yeah, that kind of stuff is always tough. Portland has run into that for a long time. The Celtics have the same problem this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the at Celtics. least they've had draft picks, though. They've just uh, they just missed, I think. Yeah, the Celtics, and they don't have a championship since 2008. So any, any type of talk with the Raptors, and it doesn't matter league-wide. Like, nobody cares. There isn't a player who cares. But for fans who are looking for a team to believe in and love and appreciate, it matters that they want to chip. So at least they have that as the roster has been bleeding talent, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, suck on that, Danny Ainge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big shout out, Danny. Okay, so if we're thinking about how the Raptors have built this team and thinking about all the things that went into it, bleeding talent, but at the cost of building a team that's good enough to win a championship, a lot of people have referred to this team as, I would say, missing one piece, you know, from some people who say, like, we need a Zach Levine to a Bradley Beal, or some people saying, if Kawhi was here, everything would work. This team is built to just take in that type of superstar and win it all. What do you think about this team outside of that, though? Because clearly people believe they could win a championship like that. And I think I believe that, too. But there are different types of teams that win different types of championships. And what do you think of the Raptors given, let's say their big three plus Kyle, who is maybe the biggest of the four, but Pascal, Fred, OG, that type of three man core leading you into the future. What type of team do you think they have to make to become a championship level contender? The, the, the really cool thing I think with those three is that, you can really just take it anywhere because those three are so versatile on both ends. Like defensively, uh, Pascal, OG, and Fred are probably all all defense level. Uh, Pascal is uh, sometimes a defensive system onto himself just with his ability to just cover the entire court. And we've already talked about OG. 
uh, Fred is pretty awesome too. He's just really good at keeping up with guys his size or just he's an amazing help defender despite uh, – I think he has the shortest arms in the league. Um, yeah, shortest wingspan. Yeah, he has the shortest wingspan in the league, but uh, he's got those uh, big meaty claws that <laughs> – Every every big man has to beware of where Fred Van Vliet is at all times. So with those three, positionally, you're not really locked anywhere. I feel like you could add a guard to that. You could add a forward. You can definitely add a big, but you don't have to. But I think the real path to being a, a really good team is just on the defensive side. Because I think there, you could have something really special here with these three. Because these three are locked in long term. They're all close to elite, if not already elite, you can build on top of that. And as far as adding a superstar goes, uh, I feel like there's a point where it's obvious, like, yeah, any, any top 10 player would make this team really, really good. But I've always questioned that, do you really need that one, uh, that one guy taking all the, the big shots, uh, Kobe style? Like, and how good does he have to be for that to be worth it? Because I don't know if Zach Levine or Bradley Beal can do what Kawhi did. And especially because those two give up something on the other end, right? And you're at like, okay, so what's the benefit there? And I think that comes from uh, the concept of this isolation score. The, the big benefit is that it gives you a really high offensive floor, right? Or I guess relatively high offensive floor, just on a per possession basis, because you know that guy is always there. But I'm not convinced that that's the only way you can go about it like i don't know maybe you can uh, you can do something uh one of the teams i've always admired is the uh the uh, 2014 spurs where they didn't have that guy but they made up for it just by just by always having this strong rotation of guys who knew what they were doing at every second and were able to just dissect any defense so as far as team building i feel like this is a really good situation, uh, despite all the drama we've had uh, online this year, for uh, either Masai or Bobby or both of them to build in their vision. So I feel like as far as team building goes, I would try to make this the best defense that I could and the most versatile defense that I could and then try to build up the offensive floor to something that's that's decent, you know? That makes a lot of sense. And this one ISO scorer among a really well-rounded team that also is not a common way to build a championship team either the raptors did it sure but it it does run it it runs the opposite way of what the nets are doing right now i would think and it runs the opposite way of what's happening in la and some of that is just how kyle lowry is perceived to have less on-court influence than he actually does and maybe if there was like this platonic on-court influence thing the Raptors would have been perceived to have a big two and Gasol at that point and Siakam at that point, very close to knocking on the door of like, you know, being that third guy. It it really depends. But if there was a platonic type of metric that could just go, yes, on court influence, you feel these things. We've, we've melted it down into this thing. Yes. This person equals a star. I think that's a thing too, but I do like what you say though, is you build out, with those three guys as a foundation, and if you add two other good defenders, presumably, you're looking at, a, I think, a five-man lineup that could anchor and should anchor a top three, top two defense. And 
you know, it could get as high as top one if things go really well and all the different machinations that Nick Nurse has. I think that's an interesting way to build forward is to just completely drop the whole offense thing. Forget about it. Hope that you get out in transition enough. Hope that Fred, Pascal, OG develop to a certain degree and get clever through the draft or trading to try and find guys who fill in gaps that you can that you need. But put defense first, I think, is uh, an interesting way because I think a lot of people are looking for offense right now. Even though the Raptors, I'm not sure if it's holding anymore, but their offensive rating is better league-wide than their defensive rating. So things to look for. I think it's interesting. Okay, so here's the thing. Norman Powell. We'll talk about Norman Powell because you and I are both, I would say, I, I put it on Twitter and I've said this on podcasts, but I am in the camp of, I think you trade Norman Powell. I think that's what you want to do. There was a report that just came out today. You put it in the group chat. Michael Grange says Norm is basically as good as gone. It's very unlikely that Norm is with the team after the trade deadline. What do you, Hoop Goose, make of the Norm situation? Uh, well, Norm scores a lot of points, so he's clearly our best player, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, my thing with Norm is that uh, Norm is really good at what he does, which is uh, finishing plays. Uh, what he does is I'm not convinced that it's entirely valuable, or that's the way I look at it. So it's not anything against Norm. It's more against what Norm's skill set is, really. Because what he does is that he's a really good play finisher. Anything that's like a straight line drive or attacking a closeout or a catch and shoot jumper. If Norm is taking that, you're having a really good offense. But Norm isn't really raising the ceiling of your team. Uh, I like to compare him to guys like uh, Joe Harris or uh, Malik Beasley because they're in similar roles where they're uh, set as these play finishers that score a lot of points. But Norm also bleeds value defensively. And I think uh, we mentioned this a little earlier today. But uh, when we had everyone healthy again, uh, Norm's impact just wasn't the same. And uh, that's what the stats say, too. If you look at the, the big uh, all-in-one impact stats that we have today, like uh, EPM or uh, 538's Raptor, they all have Norm as like a fringe top 100 player, which is like a a good starter, right? And I think that's that's pretty accurate to what Norm is, is a good starter. And I think, uh, or maybe like a good bench player. But I think uh, the contracts that people are talking about could really uh, hamstring the Raptors for the next couple of years if that's all he is. Because if you look at Norm's game right now, I don't know, Samson, uh, you, know, you know Norm's game better than I do because you've done a deep dive on him like every year is that how does he get better from here significantly to where he can live up to like a 15 million uh, contract raise, you know? And I just don't know what else he can do outside something uh, totally out of character for him. That's the whole question with it. And the great question from you is how does Norm improve? How does he get supercharged? Because he's already hit, I would say, a ridiculous degree of efficiency and he's been able to find a lot of efficient shots. Now, there's an aspect of the Raptors offense that he is the benefactor of a lot of the good, efficient shots that the Raptors offense creates. So there's an element of, I would say, his numbers being kind of plumped up by that. Now, when everybody comes back in, 
and those there's a more diverse amount of players getting access to those really good efficient opportunities his numbers aren't as influenced by that and the only thing because as you say by the by the big metrics the all-in-ones he grades out as you know like roughly top 100 and all-in-ones aren't the end-all be-all but they give you a place to start thinking about things I think I had Norm ranked 78th in my top 100 last year and you know it's you have to give a lot of consideration to what he creates on his own what he creates for others and there's not that much going on where he's still a player who is quite reliant on the structure of the Raptors offense to get his looks that make him so efficient now if there's any opposing GMs listening Norm is the MVP like he's trade Kawhi Leonard for him and uh and don't and just don't worry about the rest of it but Norm, the defensive lapses, especially with team defense, this is something I've talked about too, is that he's passable sometimes on ball, but off ball, I think he really struggles in space. He's, you could see it in the play where Tony Snell hit the game winner. Norm completely bailed out on the, the weak side zone, and he corrupted the integrity of the Raptors' defense there. He made the wrong decision. And it's not there's never one play that dictates that a player is a bad player. And I, I wouldn't even be mad. I hope nobody's mad at Norm for that one play. It's just one play. But he makes a lot of mistakes on defense, as we talked about at the start, reaching in when, you know, OG had a guy locked up, awarding free throws, that kind of stuff. Just mistakes defensively that he doesn't have the feel to operate in that space at a really high level. And since he came into the league and had that series against like Paul George, where everybody knows he, he jumped the point to wing pass and got the dunk on the other end. It's 94, 92 for the Raptors game five. It's a super big deal. He's like, has this, I would say reputation as a defender that perhaps was somewhat earned, but he has not been a plus defender for like four years. And not being a plus defender on the Raptors with how much motion that they ask and how you know much feel they dictate their players have to operate in it, it actually hurts them a lot. He affects a lot of the backline stuff. And so the Raptors feel his presence on the court on both sides. And it's about timing too. Is like Norm is a guy who those scoring numbers are they going to come at the right moments in the game? Is he the type of scorer who can influence the game as a run stopper, that type of stuff? Or is he just a, a product of the Raptors offense where if they're going, he'll jump in on it, especially given with, you know, the, the starters when all the good players are in, or is he a guy who, if they say like, Hey, we need a bucket, look how good a score norm is. And he'll give you a bucket in that moment and he can stop runs and he can keep you in games then his, you know, roughly 20 points per game become, I think, a lot more valuable because he's scoring when other players can't rather than just taking easy, efficient opportunities that a lot of other players can step into. And mm -hmm. so, and I think there's also a bigger divide because the Raptors don't have other players like Norm on the roster. He's truly unique in that way. There are a lot of players around the league who can fill it up quickly but the Raptors don't employ any of them for their bench or outside of the main four guys. It's just Norm. So on this Raptors team, the dude looks like a superhero. Like he can just score the hell out of the ball. And you look at like Yudo Watanabe and DeAndre Bembry who don't really want to take shots. They, 
want to defend and with Bembry, like play make a little bit and that kind of stuff. And maybe catch an oop every once in a while. Norm hunting his shots just looks like an apex predator out there. So I think that his value on court, the scoring is a little bit inflated. And I don't know what the route is to much better basketball. Because you look at a guy like OG, just to present like the, the other side is, OG is a guy who doesn't really hunt shots. But it's very clear he's a better player than Norm because of what he brings defensively. And that the way they use him offensively to space out actions for other players to grease the wheels, that's really important. And if the ball does pop out to him, he can hit the shot at a decent rate. And they just say, look how good this starting line is. Think about the player he can become if he becomes better at, at these things, which seem attainable. With Norm, it's like, well, how do we justify paying him? And you have to say, well, is he going to shoot 60% from downtown? Because that's kind of what has to happen, right? So, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know how he gets there. And I think the Raptors would be locking themselves into a certain level of team that is short of championship contender if if they sign Norm to big money. Yeah, for sure. And then, uh, yeah, the other thing is uh, I wonder how much of Norm's play finishing you can kind of supplement with OG just because we talked before on uh, how he doesn't really get as – the touches that maybe he should just from a developmental standpoint. And if you can get him out of that spacer role and try and get, get him some more touches in that play finisher role, maybe he can make up for uh, some of what you're losing with norm. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing too, is like, that's what makes the norm thing tough, right? Is because we don't know that the Raptors have anything on the roster. Like there's a team like the Nuggets who Malik Beasley went out the door and Michael Porter Jr. steps up and like Jeremy Grant went out the door and now he's taking on all these extra possessions. And just the Nuggets, for example, had a lot of players who could like, oh, you want more from me? I've been waiting. Thank you. The Raptors, I'm not so sure how many of those guys are on the roster. So trading Norm, it affects the team this year to be sure. They would miss him. Like it'd be crazy to think that they won't miss him. He provides real tangible offense to the Raptors but it is uh it's something to consider I think especially with where the team goes forward I know a lot of people think it's idiotic and blasphemous to talk about trading a guy when he's scoring the ball so well but you know here we are and uh Blake and I you know I think Monday or Tuesday we'll have a podcast where we talk about all the trade deadline stuff we'll talk about this too but perhaps not this in depth as far as like the play style stuff so I hope everyone enjoys the Norm commentary. Do you have any uh, last Norm thoughts? Uh, not really. Uh, I will say that Norm has earned everything that's coming to him, which yeah, not not ominously, but like uh, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> so he's gonna get paid and he's worked really hard and he deserves it. That's all I want to say about Norm. All right, we'll go to uh, Twitter questions now. Okay, first Twitter question from Makai Emblazoned. Bruce BLM, uh, big shout out, Makai. So this is something we already talked about. Just, w- just want to acknowledge uh, the question. What do y'all project OG Ananobi's ceiling to be? Do y'all predict his offensive game will progress? We talked about that at the top. Uh, TMN underscore, underscore 04 underscore. No question, just coming here to say let's go. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, Karina Mustafa, uh, how are you two recording a pod together? If Goose is your burner, something we... Uh, 
already addressed as well. We're Another question one, from, sorry, go ahead. We're just one guy talking to himself, really. Yeah, that's, exa <laughs> that's exactly it. Um, question from Big Homie S, uh, beloved friend of mine and yours, I think, as well. One of my favorite people asks, yeah, S is awesome, asks, ask him why he decided on Goose. And we got that right at the top of the podcast. So we have ignored the questions, but answered them anyway. Here's the real one, though. Nathan Alexander, quote, is there any way to get rid of foul baiting in the NBA? It seems there are few cases every game of someone flailing their body to create contact and then heaving the ball to the rim as if this is a natural way to shoot, end quote. Uh, if anybody watched the Jazz game last night, you would see Chris Boucher jump to the right side of Mike Conley's body and Mike Conley pivots to get his left hand on the right side of his body and just swings into him wildly. I think everybody who watches, you know, more than like five NBA games in a year has noticed that this is a thing. Uh, Trey Young may be the most aggressive abuser of this uh, foul baiting in the NBA, but a lot of players do it. Kyle Lowry does it as well. What do you make of this? I've talked about this elsewhere, but I'm, I'm interested what you think. I feel like it's definitely an issue just because it's kind of unnatural just watching it because you know they didn't mean to do that. And my favorite suggestion for this has come from uh, Anthony Doyle on Twitter where he's like, just make it the rule that it only counts if you make it. So if you make the shot after doing an unnatural motion, it's an and one. If you miss it, though, it's an offensive foul. And so <laughs> I feel like that would give you a good balance of uh, – of being careful and not trying to push this thing because then you only take it when you know you can make it. Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that's a great idea in practice. I think that's hard to officiate the natural shot thing, especially since that requires refs to police jump shots in a way that they don't really have to now. And then you open yourself up to more interpretation and refs hate the interpretation thing because then you get jazz fans, however many weeks ago saying like they're corrupt and then you have Raptors fans against the Jazz saying that they're corrupt. And so they just, they just want something easy to call. The rule book makes this an easy call for them right now. And I think the, the people who write the rules for the NBA have to, I mean, presumably this is what you get paid for, get in your bag and write this, legislate this in a way that makes sense that you can eliminate this foul. Like the sweep through, I guess that's, this is like, when you, what is it, I am legend, when they're like, we have the cure for cancer and it just created something worse. Like the sweep through that Kevin Durant, like they got rid of that and now we're dealing with this, which is like the pre-sweep through. It's like, oh yeah, I'm not sweeping through his hands. I'm just putting my hands like six feet outside the, the what would it be, the cylinder of my body and then swinging them into him. It's not a sweep through, it's just smashing into this guy. And like, you'll see like Luca, the one game, he did it and he flailed and just his shoulder smashed into this guy's chin. And like these guys who are doing closeouts, they're totally innocent. They're just hanging out. They're like, Hey, I'm contesting. The arm is in a good place. I've done a good thing. And all of a sudden this asshole on the ground is flailing his body at him with like his elbow extended and you just get smashed in the face. It's, it's very clearly a problem. It's a, and Anthony's, if they can legislate it in a way that, the interpretations are quite clean, like Anthony's version of it, totally. Big shout out to Anthony Doyle, friend of the show. I think that would be the most entertaining. Like at the end of a game, 
you see a guy who's trying to weigh the consequences like we need the four points and you just see him doing all types of crazy stuff and then you could even have like trick shotters sub in at the end of games like guys who are so good at taking the contact and then like flinging it like maybe there's like a wrestling move right like where you grab a guy on his shoulder and like swing around his body there's like specialists who come into the league and start doing that kind of stuff any thoughts on that I feel like the wrestling thing is definitely a Blake thing, but uh, <laughs> I feel like you have like a guy like Luca, he just become more powerful <laughs> because Luca, <laughs> Luca has an insane talent of just having the the greatest touch on shots where he'll just hit these shots or make these passes that make no sense. Like, I don't know if you saw yesterday, but he had these like ridiculous passes in the uh, I think it was a Blazers game, where he was not looking and it's like behind the back and like nobody saw it coming. I'm like, how does he do that? So yeah, you uh, this is really just making Luca more powerful. It's uh, the white man's world. We're just living in it, you know. <laughs> okay. Anyway, maybe a bit too on the nose for sports podcast, but hey, uh, Grogua Ananobi at Pack Attack quote. Ask this man, Hoop Goose, what NBA story do you want your Snyder cut of, a.k.a. the real story of what happened, and which NBA players are you casting as your Justice League, end quote. This is a great question. I love when people ask questions like this. And uh, big shout-out, Grogugua Ananobi, a friend of the podcast. Yeah, Pack Attack is a cool guy. But yeah, uh, the, the story is, uh, since we're talking about uh, refing, course we're gonna go to tim donahy and uh <laughs> the the match fixing i feel like that's really a uh, super interesting is that people said that or the nba said that he was the only guy who did it and it was just uh the one year but espn did a whole investigation and they said it was four years of him doing it so i feel like there's a story there that we're probably not never gonna get but it's definitely not helping how uh, fans treat refs so. well Tim Donahue has a podcast, right, where he talks about that, I think. I haven't listened to any of it, but maybe, like, the Snyder Cut of it already exists, and we're just not listening to it. Well, Tim Donahue has to get his cloud up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, and uh, I suppose I'll try and answer this for myself. What do I want the Snyder Cut of? I, Brooke Lopez has a scar on his right shoulder from the games he played in Europe where it was either Bargnani, I, I think it was Bargnani whose nail cut Brooke Lopez and he was bleeding everywhere when the Raptors played the Nets in London and they didn't ever show anything of it, but that scar still remains on his body. I'd like, like not a 30 for 30, but like a 15 for 15 Snyder cut of that. And since there's blood and like a little bit of like, I guess, combat, he could really do his best with all the filters he throws on that stuff. In a slow-mo. That's right. You see the, you see it break the skin. It's like the grossest thing ever. And you're like, oh my God, I can't believe this guy doesn't cut his nails. Cut your nails, then, folks. Then you have a one-liner from Barks saying, Raptor, the Raptors fans aren't the only people I've scarred. That's right. It's like, <laughs> what's leaking out of him? The primo pasta sauce. Okay. Next, to, oh wait, who's, who's your NBA Justice League? All right. Uh, so I thought about this a little, 
And I feel like Superman is uh, pretty obvious just from like a leadership and like a physical standpoint. I think you have to go with LeBron. Batman though, Batman though, I'm going with Fred Van Vliet. <laughs> Fred Van Vliet is my NBA Batman just because uh, just like Batman, he doesn't have like superpowers like athletically, like he's all like smarts and skill. So uh, Fred is my Batman. Wonder Woman, uh, I think I, I'm going with Giannis because they're both Greek and they're both uh, kind of charming and they're both like uh, physically powerful, you know? And uh, I think I'll do one more. We'll do, uh, we'll do the Flash. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat here and go with uh, De'Aaron Fox because he's a fast guy who is young and cool. <laughs> yeah, okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. Flash, I'll agree with you. I would go De'Aaron Fox. Superman, I'd go LeBron. Batman, I actually, I don't read Batman comics or anything like that. So I describe to like the meme version, or sorry, not describe. I subscribe to the meme version of Batman. Like there'll be a tweet that says Batman is just like beating the hell out of a drug dealer who's just moving marijuana and just trying to like feed his family. I subscribe to that version of Batman. So I think Batman for me is like TJ McConnell because he has the same shortcomings, like lack of superpowers that Fred has. Only he jumps people in the backcourt the way that Batman jumps people in like a back alley. And I, he, I think he has the record for the most backcourt steals in the NBA. Obviously, they started tracking it late, but TJ McConnell will just crawl into your butthole when you really don't want him there. And Batman does the same type of thing. Like there'll be like this low-level criminal who just come beat the hell out of him. I played Arkham Knight. I know what it is. And uh, yeah, TJ McConnell is just... Him and Matthew Delavadova, they're the Batman of the NBA. Like, they're so annoying. And they just are like, show up. And you're like, please leave me alone. I'm just trying to get the ball up the court. And he's like, no, <laughs> that ball is mine. I have to turn it over to the proper authorities named the Rim. Okay. And was I missing anyone? Wonder Woman. Uh, let's go with Giannis. Giannis can be Wonder Woman for me, too. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'll try and think of somebody else. Uh, Thanasis. How's that sound? Oh, fine. Well, he has the he has the hardware. <laughs> That's right. Is there anybody? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Does anybody? Because the whip, right? Who in the NBA currently has a rat tail? Does Colin Sexton still have a rat tail? I think he does. Okay, Colin Sexton is Wonder Woman for me then, because of the rat tail, and he can whip people with it. I would like to see him whip someone with his rat tail. <laughs> Be like grow it out even farther, and like the head fakes become kind of like a boomerang where it comes around like the other way and whaps them and he could put like a little bead on it and like and then he drives by i'm surprised if if he was able to do that effectively i'd be surprised that kyle lowry hadn't figured it out yet and incorporated it into his own game this is why uh, chris paul needs to stop uh stop shaving his head I literally, I, as soon as I finished saying that, I immediately started thinking like, oh, maybe Chris Paul is Batman because of like the resourcefulness, the gadgets. And like Chris Paul is a cop, like 100, he's a cop without being a cop, which is what Batman is. And uh, yeah. Okay. That feels <laughs> like yeah. enough on the Justice League, but I think that's, that's the end of the podcast. How do you feel? I had a lot of fun. It was a great podcast. Me too. Hopefully we don't blame too much for our own takes, but uh... <laughs> I don't think so, especially since Grange had that uh, that report. I think we're just operating in in the proper faith that 
Michael Grange isn't lying. So if Norm goes out the door, I suppose this could age extremely well. And, you know, if anybody listening is like angry, uh, probably get ready to skip through it when Blake and I talk about this in a couple of days because Blake is in the same boat as me on this one. So it'll probably just be more agreeing about, you know, Norm's shortcomings and then being like, but hey, he scores the ball. So yeah, anyway. And like, here's the thing. If you really like Norm, I wrote a big piece about him. It's called Norm Powell, The Art of Scoring. Type that into Google. It should show up. And there's things he's done to improve his game. Like he's, he deserves so much credit. As Goose said, he deserves everything that's coming to him. The, the paycheck that he will no doubt get in the, in the summer. I hope he gets paid. I hope he gets his money. It sucks that in a salary cap sport, you have to count athletes' pockets to try and you know, manufacture a team that is capable of winning and all that stuff. But those are the current constraints, and I hope Norm makes all the money he can and nothing but love to him and his family. So is there anything you'd like to plug before we get out of here? Some people plug books. Some people plug their patrons some people plug their twitter accounts but the floor is yours mate you do as you please uh sure yeah uh just give me a follow on twitter and uh we can talk about basketball or the justice league if you like <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh i'll co-sign that he's one of my favorite follows actually and uh i have many interactions with him on twitter all of which have been nothing but pleasant so far and he has a very good flair with the occasional meme. I would consider him very close to being one of the top-tier memesters on Raptors Twitter, if you're into that sort of thing. And if you're not, uh, just stay for the insightful basketball commentary. But Goose, mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming on, man. I've had a blast. Thank you for uh, having me. This was real fun. And, yeah, yeah. Listener, if you enjoyed it, thanks so much for uh, enjoying it. That means a lot to Goose and I. But when he got into it in the morning, or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye. At American Public University, we believe that higher education can unlock higher purpose. So we offer 200 modern programs for those who want to make a difference. And we believe education must adapt to students' needs. That's why we've made it accessible through online classes and flexible with monthly program starts. American Public University, within reach, without limits. Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com.